Well, good morning, everyone. Glad that we have the opportunity to praise our God and to worship Him as we are this morning. And just as a quick note, um, every week, just as a reminder, as you go out, go ahead and get a sheet of um, the, the prayer requests from the men. They are explicitly wanting our prayers, the men that we study with in the, in the Max Security. And so you do well. And it goes well with the sermon this morning, not from a standpoint of preaching in prison or anything like that, but from a standpoint of what we are talking about, this concept of living generously or generous living. And so when we're, when we're looking at our lives and the way we live our lives, it was very clear this morning in our Bible study that we are affected by our culture, which influences the way we look at Scripture, right? Case in point. We have, from a biblical perspective, looking at the way our world looks at life, a skewed, skewed picture of the word generosity. Because it is influenced by the way we look at life. And in the last, wow, especially in the last couple of generations, maybe even within the last one generation, we have this concept, right, that the world as we know it's coming to an end because guess what we're running out of resources i think we have so many trillions of ba barrels of oil and then we're out of oil and now we have nothing to really work with that's the mindset some have right some of you are already rolling your eyes listening to that but that's the mindset that many have right we're running out of resources and guess what our population continues to skyrocket so for all that's going on in industrialized nations right we're actually in some places, in some parts of the world, we are peaking at our population. But in other parts of the world, particularly third world conditioned countries, they're exploding. And I think, was it by the year 2045, we're looking at an estimation of 11 billion people on planet Earth. That was the estimation from our experts. Well, that's a lot of people. And so if we are running out of resources, right, maybe uh, the waters are getting bad, and so we, with, with the farming of fish or the land animals, they're all cramped quarters, and all these things that are taking place for a variety of reasons, we're running out of food. We're running out of resources. Well, imagine as we get that narrative given to us time and time and time again, whether it's true or not, that's a narrative. Decisions then about what we attain right, money, right, stuff, and maintain is influenced by that worldview. It is. Think about it. From last week's um, sermon that we're talking about, we, we look at the idea of savings very differently than maybe other places in the world and other eras in world history. And so we look at this worldview, and it's shaped then by these decisions. And so who we share with what we share, how much we share, right, is influenced by that worldview. For instance, I've told you about different perspectives depending on cultures you are. Um, wherever we were, whether it was in Ukraine or in South America or even Central America, brethren, they have a zero balance at the end of service, right? They give the money, put it in the plate, and then it gets distributed instantly. There's no bank account. And so it's a different perspective than what we have, and we can weigh the pros and cons from our vantage point because of the culture 
that tells us this is what is good and this is right, this is what's helpful. And the next culture says, wait, that's kind of upside down to the way we think. So again, our worldview gets skewed based upon the context of our culture, right? So what we're looking at then when we're talking about this concept of living generously is, well, what is God's intention? Is that in worldview that we have, and I'm speaking not of you individually, but us as a society in this country, is that God's intention? Is that the worldview that God wants? Or is it different? What's the biblical worldview? Well, the first thing we need to remember is that we're image bearers of God. We're supposed to be reflecting his image, right? And if that's the case, then what does the image of God reveal to us, right? What does God himself reveal to us so that as image bearers, we can reflect that image? Well, we go through scriptures and we find passages like the one that was read for us this morning. And I want to reread that text, or at least part of the text in Ephesians chapter 3 as a springboard for what we are talking about. Now, remember again, verse 20, Ephesians 3. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, that's his power, right? To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever in other words, he can exceedingly and abundantly work in us and through us, for us, through his spirit who dwells in us. And every generation, that's going to be the case. Exceedingly, abundantly. It's like there's limitless graciousness or generosity by our God so that we can live exceedingly abundantly. That's the point, right? And we see that within these scriptures when we look through them. In fact, as we, we look at 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to actually read the whole text in 2 Corinthians 9 because it's not that, that long. But that's the picture that is given, right? God is able to bless you abundantly so that, in, later on in the passage, so that you will abound in every good work. Not so that you can just do good work, but you can abound in it. That's a concept of generous living that reflects the very image of our God. And so the question is, how do we learn to reflect this image, especially if it's counterculture? Because I believe the church is, in fact, counterculture, no matter what the culture is over the course of history. And so that's the question that we're looking at as image bearers of God, how to reflect that abundant type living. So we're going to focus in on these last couple of slides, the last two, three slides on this very concept. And I want you to notice a pattern, because I think it's very good to see it all throughout Scripture. The very, very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God creates, and he creates, and he creates. It's all good. Every day he's created, it's all good, right? And then after he creates man, he gives man the charge of how to live. And when you read verses 28 to 30, he says, be fruitful and multiply. What our modern picture is, that's easy to say, God. This planet has nobody on it. Of course, be fruitful and multiply. Of course, God knows the long-term picture, right? And he sees a picture of individuals that are going out and being abundant in their life. It's not just be fruitful and multiply until you reach X population. 
He he didn't say anything along those lines, right? He simply says to mankind, be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, over all the the creatures that crawl on the earth. And, And so that's the mindset. He's given everything, right? Before sin enters into life here on earth, that's what we see, abundance everywhere. In fact, it's only when sin comes into the picture when he says, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, and then the fruit will not yield its strength to you. That was the curse that was provided there. And then you see the effect of sin. That idea of abundance seems to lessen when sin is in this world. So again, we see a pattern that's beginning to develop. And that pattern continues on. If you'll see it, and I'm only using three illustrations, but you get to go and look at the rest of scriptures. You'll see very, very powerful examples that bring this point out. So Israel, right? They're a new nation, right? We can read that in the book of Exodus. New nation. And here in lies the picture of God's generosity to them. They are living uh, in captivity in Egypt. He brings them out. And even though they are in this wilderness, how does he provide for them? Exceedingly and abundantly in the desert. Think about it. No one ever died of starvation or dehydration that that is recorded in Scripture. As far as we are told, revelation-wise... God fed them for 40 years. However many people there are, hundreds of thousands, millions, we are not told exactly how many, but we know there's a lot of people for 40 years, every day they have sustenance. And not just a little bit. Remember when they were complaining to God about that worthless bread that God was providing every single day? Does God even provide even further? In his anger, he did, didn't he? So much so that, oh, it's kind of gross to even speak. But, you know, they had a lot of food. (laughs) It came out of them. (laughs) That's how abundant God was in providing for his people, far exceeding what they could have asked for, right? Notice how a gracious God to this nation that is going to go from the desert to a land flowing with milk and honey what he says to them. I want you to open your Bibles to Leviticus. Read um, verses 35 through 37 in Leviticus 25. And I want you to see the reflection of God's image in his people. It's not just a law because God said so. It's us reflecting his image as these Old Testament people were told. Now, notice We still have life, and life takes place, and as a result, some people are are wealthy, some people are poor. It's just a matter of of it being what it is. No different than, oh, never mind, I don't want to get too theological on on Genesis 4, but the whole point here is that you're going to have differences among people. And it's not wrong, by the way, that one person's wealthy and one person's poor, but notice how he handles when there is a discrepancy. If one of your brethren becomes poor, verse 35 of Leviticus 25, one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. 
And then he goes on to say, you shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food for profit or at a profit. And then he explains why. I am the Lord your God who brought you, remember you were slaves, out of the land of Egypt to give you the land which you have not deserved, you have not earned, you did not conquer of your own accord. The land of Canaan, the one that is flowing with milk and honey, that I'll be your God. I'm your God. I've shown you my loving kindness, my generosity, and I want you to go into this land living the same way. I want you to reflect my image. He doesn't say it in those words, but that's exactly what's intended. That's why we are made in his image, to be image bearers and to reflect it. Just as in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 to 30, right? That's why he, we are told in verse 26, let us make man in our image. Wow, what is that? To live this way. And we reflect to the rest of God's creation this generosity that God bestows upon this creation of his. We reflect that in the way we live. Same thing when the Lord's church had its beginnings, right? So the very beginning, when you read of it, Remember how we are told in passage, in fact, I, I quoted it last time. I'm going to quote it one more time about this generosity. And I said that it would be a good springboard for this week. I want you to reread Ephesians 4, and then we get into Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and we're not going to delve into the, all the passages, but just read one of those texts that show this generous type of lifestyle. So Ephesians chapter 4, notice the generosity of God toward us. Ephesians 4, I'm going to pick up in verse 7. Right? He's telling us to walk in unity, and now here's what he says. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here's grace generously given according to the gift. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So as I explained last week, imagine Jesus going into battle, right? And Jesus becoming, becomes the victor over death. And with the victory come the spoils. And now, like a generous commander, he spreads all this wealth amongst those in his kingdom. Now, verse 9. This, he, he ascended. What does it mean, but he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things and he gave himself or and he himself excuse me gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists and pastors and teachers in other words he takes from the abundance of his victory and with his graciousness provides his kingdom his church these individuals in the form of prophets and evangelists and apostles and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints so that it might be able to be abundant in its life. Notice what he says. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of um, doctrine, by the trickery of men, in cunning craftiness of, of deceitful plotting. I mean, that's like the life of a child. But instead, this mature person, this one unified body, 
where there's this abundance of, of gifts that have been distributed for the purpose of serving, right? The purpose of ministry. He says, from whom, verse 16, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. You should have inferred within that that every joint supplies abundantly. According to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's very much a contrast from the way the world would work where everything is mine, you can't have, because i got to make sure that me and mine have ours. The rest, good luck. You know? Here's some scraps that fall from my table. Rich man think. That's a very different mindset. What we have here is a pattern, right? God's abundantly providing for the Lord's church, Ephesians 4, as is explained here, and now we get to see a practice where when you have those in the church that are supplying for the body, we see its growth. I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. We read it many, many times, right? We talk about the body being unified and what have you, but look at it from the vantage point of living out this image bearers of God, this idea of a generous lifestyle. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 43, notice what Luke says in his record. I'll back up to verse 40. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So here's the kingdom, and he's got 3,000 plus souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So now you're getting to see what's going on in this community of believers, Right? They are following the teachings of the apostles, right? That's the Lord gifted his church with these men for the purpose of the body growing up. And so they did so, and they broke bread, and they stayed together steadfastly in prayers. And then verse 43, fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and good, divided them among all as anyone had need. Let that sink in. <laughs> How many of us would say, let's all do that today? Because some of us in this room would have far more than the rest of us. And the ones who don't have much relative to everyone else were like, Let's do it. <laughs> and the ones who had and worked hard, by the way, those who worked really, really hard and have tons are like, wait a second. I worked hard for that. I've earned that. It's mine, not yours. Again, remember our skewed perspectives. Because in, in the preaching, in the pulpit, in our Bible studies with one another, we have no problem saying, you know, it's not mine. It's God's. <laughs> right? But when we get out of the pulpit and we get out of our Bible studies, we get outside of these walls, and now all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a second. It's, it's mine. <laughs> I work for it. And I'm not going to go down that road and that rabbit trail for too much, but think about it. Here is a church, and in the church are people who are wealthy and people who are poor. I'm going to reread verse 43 following again. 
Then fear came upon every soul, many wonders and signs done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. It's this concept, this picture where the Lord's church filled with the spirit of God has graciously come into their lives, brought them salvation, and they are now reflecting the very qualities of our God. And in their heart, they're living out this abundant lifestyle. Our modern perspective says, well, that doesn't sound abundant. It sounds like you just gave up a lot of your stuff, and now you yourself is going to be in need. That's how we would react. I, would, I, I speak generally speaking, not individually. Right? You know, what, ha- what happens when the poor widow gives her two mites, and Jesus calls her being very liberal in her giving, and the other person who's thinking, wait a second, now she's in need. I mean... Jesus, didn't you think of that? She's now more impoverished than she was before those two mites. And yet, Jesus said she was wealthy. Doesn't make sense. It's upside down. It's because of a skewed mindset that is not just a 21st century mindset, by the way. It's been going on for millennia. The scarcity mindset. That's because we live in an upside down world before biblical views are presented. Right before we begin walking and reflecting God's image. So the result of this general and generous lifestyle is what? Verse 46. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Just a beautiful, beautiful picture of the Lord's church in its infancy. I like the beautiful picture of the Lord's kingdom in the days when they entered the land flowing with milk and honey where there was such great abundance. Or like the beginning in the book of Genesis when man comes into this planet earth and he sees all this abundance and God says, you go be fruitful, multiply, go have dominion. No different. In fact, I would even share and submit to you that in the life of a child of God, You notice someone who just becomes a child of God, how on fire they are. They want to share the gospel with everybody. Just this abundance lifestyle. Have no no desire of holding back. You just want to share it with everyone. That's the picture. And we're not just talking about material things. I'm giving a principle. So I want you to see this principle in action, right? That means that if you can look at it from the most physical base standpoint, it would look like the saints in Macedonia, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Notice it was not just about giving money. Read with me 2 Corinthians 9 one more time and notice all these points and many, many more that could be stated that give this picture of this generous lifestyle. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we just read the passage. Read that with me, please. I'm in the wrong Corinthian book. (laughs) Now, concerning the ministering to the saints. Remember Ephesians 4, the ministering of the saints. In this case, this kind of uh, gift standpoint. Concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, 
that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Beautiful. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also abounding through many thanksgiving to God while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayers for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Do you see something beyond money there? Because he's using money as, as the, the easy illustration. But it's a life. It's a life where because you're totally devoted to a God and totally devoted to reflecting his image, you reflect his abundant lifestyle. The way God graciously gives. So consider these other points here. Right? Here we are. It's the last few weeks we've been talking about. We are broken people. We have our sins that we deal with and what have you. Now imagine this. I go to Kim and I'm easily saying, man, I, I did you wrong, Kim. I'm sorry. Imagine being liberal in repentance. Imagine that. And imagine on the flip side, Kim is like, this is the 491st time you've apologized, Mitch. Remember 70 times 7 type thing? <laughs> I forgive you again. I pass the threshold. <laughs> she is very liberal in forgiveness. What a heart. It's a heart that we're talking about that goes beyond money, right? How about if we are very free in helping others? I'll admit, this is where I have sinned many, many times. Mitch, I need help. I'm right there. Julie, I need help. Wait, I got to go help this person. My wife, she, she needs me, you know? And then 
by the way, that's where a lot of preachers get into trouble. Right, Richard, you know from first-hand experience? Okay. <laughs> yeah, because we can be so giving in other areas that we don't even give to our own family. And so, you know, there's this concept of balance. I mean, there's 24 hours in a day, but yet how can we be so freely giving? Sacrifice, less sleep. It happens. Look at people who constantly give. They look worn out, but the, not their heart. It's just bags under their eyes. Always freely giving. It's a a heart thing. Being quick to share your time, being quick to help other people, being quick to offer uh, repentance or apologies or forgiveness, all these things is a kind of heart that shows the image of God. And God has graciously given his body of believers all these wonderful gifts so that we ourselves can be built up into this oneness in Christ that we spoke of last week. What does it look like? Does it look like this? It's mine. There's a lot of passages we could go to. We've already read many of them. It says, "Uh uh-uh, none of it is ours, not even our children. Everything is God's. Everything is. Imagine this. Imagine that, that maybe, just maybe, through God's providential care, he put us in a situation That with your sovereignty, limited as it may be, and your choices that he grants unto you, and with his richness and his grace, he grants you the opportunities to be wealthy. For what purpose? What about when you are granted the time? If we can monetize time, isn't that a great wealth? Did you actually have the time to help others? But boy, I'm telling you what, right now, binge watching on Netflix sure sounds a lot more enjoyable. We're wealthy with our time. I mean, we've got, we've got so many, excuse my language, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be discreet when I say it, but you'll get the point. We have a lot of servants in our house. The microwave, the stove, the faucet, the washing machine. Right? The showers. All those are in a, a variety of ways servants that we have in our household. Lots of them. We've got computers that do stuff for us nowadays. I mean, you talk about, I remember back in 1991, Quick Verse. I don't know if you guys know Quick Verses. It was a Bible program, 1992-ish, when I bought that program. And I remember my very first word study that I had done before Quick Verse came out. Took about eight hours for this one study I was doing. Eight hours turned into less than one hour. I thought, what in the world is, did I stumble upon? And I can imagine Brother Wang, all right, show me what you're doing with your time now. You got seven extra hours. <laughs> you fill it up. My point being is that we have all these servants from this standpoint. We have all kinds of time. And you know what we tell each other? We're busier than ever. God has graciously given us 24 hours. There's a lot that can be done, a lot of good that can be done that reflects the very image of our Savior. We're going to finish with this last passage that I think epitomizes the concept of God generously giving to us. And this is a God who generously lives in and through our lives today and how we can reflect his image. 
Think about it. God so loved the world, he gave. He didn't hold back anything. He gave the ultimate gift one can give, life. Think about it. And if we are image bearers of our God, then we become living sacrifices daily, Romans 12. And we bear that image that we give our lives. Not just like, God, I give it to you on Sunday, but God, I give you my whole life every day. And I, I fall very short of this goal of giving my entire life to God because I see my own selfishness. I practice selfishness regularly. I see it when I don't fully give of myself to someone, whether it's my family member, my brother, sister in Christ, someone in the world. When I don't fully give myself, I see that in myself. And it's easy with this modern mindset to justify why I don't fully give. And, and I can easily do it, right? There's only 24 hours in a day. You got to take care of your family. I mean, all these things, we get it. But in the name of justifying myself, I may actually give less than what I could. Does that make sense? Right? So be, like, for instance, help those who are in poor, right? So help, help the party. And yet, do you help the poor? And then now you don't have, I've done that before, right? Give my last few dollars. I was telling Erica, I remember when I was 22 year, 23 years old, gave my last $5. Now I have nothing in that bank account, nothing in my pocket. How am I going to survive? Well, guess what? 27 years later, I'm still here by the grace of God. And God probably is you working through your lives to supply the needs and well beyond the needs of my family. So think about this concept here. Love gives. And that's what we're seeing in our God and how we should see it in our lives. All this goes back to every aspect of our lives that God is transforming our minds and he's transforming our lives. Do we see transformation in the fruit we bear? I hope so. This is the concept that God has for us. And I want you to know that it all starts with you dying to self. Nevertheless, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? That started on the day you buried that old man of sin to death. And you rose to walk in newness of life. Sounds something like uh, baptism. <laughs> right? When you call upon the name of the Lord and he tells you to be baptized into Christ, that's what we see, Right? We are buried, and that old man of sin is put away. The new man is beginning to take over, and he's following not his will, but the will of a father who graciously gave him his life and graciously provides for him to have new life. That's an invitation that is truly good news. And those who believe and are baptized, God says, you'll be saved. And so I want you to be saved. I want you to live this life for the glory of God, for the souls who would be calling upon his name. And by the way, if you need our prayers, brethren, we'd be happy to pray on your behalf, all for your benefit and for the glory of our God. So if you're needing of invitation, why don't you take advantage of it as together we stand and sing.